Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So good to be here and to be able to share a few moments with you. Uh, I want to make sure that we always appropriate the time well, but I want to take a moment and just tell you, I get to travel and be in some of the greatest churches in America on a regular basis. Most of the people you would ever watch on TV would be my dear friends, uh, places that I have ministered. But I just want to say to Mel and to Kim, you two are just really, really amazing leaders. And I say that to you. You can always tell a great leader if they're willing to help people who may never be able to help them. Most people will help people who can help them, but great leaders help people who may never help them. And having been at the back 40, uh, which I didn't know what that meant until I found the church, uh, but being at the back 40, the pastors there are never going to be able to really help you. But you didn't care. You were willing to help them. And that is the sign of a great leader. It's not that they do things different than others. They do them for people that will never be able to add much value. So I just want to say thank you uh, for doing that. Those of you that are here today, thank you so much uh, for coming. Uh, I could tell you a whole lot about me. It wouldn't make anything that we're about to do any better. So I'm going to pray and uh, just get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the few moments that we have today to be able to invest our souls and our lives in the Word of God. Today, I pray, Father, that you're going to take the Word of God and you're going to make it personal. I need your help today. I don't know the people in this room. I don't know anything about the people in this room. But you know everything. Father, you know the things they hope and you know the things they fear. You know the things they dream and you know the things that they dread. You know the things that they'll tell everyone. But more importantly, you know the things that they've never told anyone. And therefore, you're the one who can minister to them. I pray today, Father, that you are going to unlock the unique combination of each heart in here, and you're going to speak, and you're going to minister. And when it's all said and done, the outcome will be this. You will help each of us to be more like Jesus than we've ever been before. And we all agree together saying, If you study the Bible, one of the things that you find out is that in the Bible, there's a lot of bad weather days. If you go into the Old Testament, everyone would be familiar with a man named Noah. Noah's life is going to be based on 40 bad weather days. It's just common in Scripture. You go a little bit further into the Bible and you bump into a man named Jonah. And Jonah's going to be an individual who is going to have a central moment that's going to focus on a bad weather day. If you went into the New Testament, you bump into 12 men that Jesus chose to take a journey with. And these 12 men, there was something about them. If you ever put them on a boat together, it was going to be a bad boating experience. I don't know if you've ever seen those carnival cruise lines where they talk about on the news that something happened. Well, that's what these 12 would do. You put them on a boat together and it was going to be carnival cruise line kind of moment. But then if you go a little bit further, you bump into a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 27. And in verse 20, it says this. 
the terrible storm raged. Now, if you do what I do for a living, that immediately grabs your attention. Because this could have been written, the storm raged. But it doesn't say that, it's this terrible storm. Anytime the Bible gives a qualifier, it's trying to draw you into the moment. It's trying to get you to feel what was going on and to experience what they were experiencing. So by the qualifier, what was being said is this, this isn't the average storm. This isn't the storm that would just be the average kind of summer kind storm or the wintertime storm. This is a storm with intensity. So if you're going to get what this verse is saying, you immediately mentally have to begin to understand that this storm is an intense. It not only says that, but it says this terrible storm raged for many days. So this isn't the storm that started in the morning and was gone by night or started at night and it was over by the morning. This storm kept going on and on and on. And then it says this, it says this terrible storm raged and it raged for many days till we could no longer see the sun or the stars. What this means is this, all perspective is lost. They can't tell time. They can't tell whether it's day, they can't tell whether it's night, they don't know how many days have come and gone. All perspective is gone. And then it goes on and it says the terrible storm raged for many days. We could no longer see the sun or the stars and it raged until all hope was gone. And it's that phrase that as a pastor grabs my heart because I know what it's like to pastor the person where hope is gone. See, I know what it's like to pastor the person who got married and they stood before an altar like this and it was a young guy, young girl, they love each other and they said the vows intending to have that magical kind of life together. But somehow they've gotten off to that bad start and it's been one disappointment, one argument after another and now the question that they're having in the back of their mind is, will we ever have a good marriage? Is our marriage always going to be filled with this kind of conflict and this kind of tension? And it's not that they don't believe in God, it's that they've lost hope that their marriage will ever be good. And I need you to grasp that because there's a lot of people who will come to this church on Sunday morning, come to my church on Sunday morning, and it's not that they lost their faith in God, they've just lost their hope in their life. They've lost their hope that their marriage will ever be good. I pastor people, they walk into a service, but they have felt bad for so long that they've lost hope that they will ever feel good again. They think this is the way it's always going to be. I'm always going to feel this way. I'm never going to feel good. It's always going to be this kind of thing. It's not that they don't have faith in God, they've lost hope. I know what it's like to pastor the parents who have the teenager that's doing things that a teenager shouldn't do. And as a result of that, now the parents. It's not that they don't love their kid. It's not that they don't believe in God. But they've lost hope that their teenager will ever be a good kid. That that teenager will ever turn out. See, in life, what we find is that people find themselves in storms and it's not uncommon for them to lose hope i got to build a bridge here. Um, I fly a whole lot. I have over 4.3 million miles sitting in little seats on planes. 
Now, when you sit on planes like that, sometimes things happen. I remember one evening, I was flying back from the West Coast, back to the Dallas area, and as we were flying, it was years ago, you didn't have the little portable iPads and the little, you know, foldable kind of computer pads, and so you really had to old school it, and school it, and for some of you that are young, you won't realize that this ever existed, but there were a thing called books, and... <laughs> And, and books were just an amazing device, you know, they had covers to them, and on the inside they had pages, and writing was in there, and so in the old school days, we would get out books, and we would read them, and so I remember getting out of my seat, I remember going up and, and opening the overhead to get out a book, when I opened the overhead, I can remember, it's vivid to this day, I had my hand on the book, I'm about to pull it out, and then the brightest light I've ever seen occurs. The light is so bright. If you had your hand right there, you could not see your hand. You know your hand's there, but you're blinded by this light. This light is so bright that you can't see it. It is literally taking away the fact that you could see that your hand's there. Simultaneously with it, I hear the loudest sound that I have ever heard. You take whatever loud is, it's loud. And you multiply it and you multiply it and that's it. And can I be honest with you? I'm a pastor. I believe in Christ. I know I'm going to heaven. I just didn't want to go that night. But as a result of that, what happened, I'm thinking to myself is this. This is what it's like to be on a plane when it blows up. This is what it's like. Every instinct, every little fiber of my body is sitting there and it's hitting survival mode. I'm being flooded with adrenaline because you're hearing this now noise. You're seeing this light. And you're thinking, this plane is blowing up. This is exactly what it's like. Except the light begins to dissipate and then the sound begins to go away. Everyone on that plane is just stunned. No noise is being made. Very similar to how you're responding right now. It's just totally quiet. Pilot doesn't come on. But I began to learn a principle about flying. The longer it takes the pilot to talk, the better the news is going to be. In fact, it was about four minutes later the pilot came on and he said, guys, he said, we've just experienced one of those things that happens in flight. It's not very common. It happens rarely. But our plane has just been hit by lightning. Now, we've gone through our entire checklist. All of our instruments are fine. All of our equipment's fine. We will be proceeding to Dallas. At which point he came on and he said this, and I've only heard it one other time. He said, guys, I know that this was really troublesome to most of you, so I've told the flight attendants, it's now open bar, drinks are on us. <laughs> which is apparently what happened in your front yard last night. <laughs> I didn't know you were hosting your own kegger. That's sort of taking this message to a whole new light for me. But you got to understand, I'm a pastor, I don't drink. Therefore, what that meant, it was just unlimited peanuts. <laughs> but the pastor I was flying with next to me, that was the night he started drinking. <laughs> He's now gone through rehab twice, and we think it's going to take. See, here's the thing about storms. Nobody wants to be in one. 
No one got up this morning and said, God, I want to be in the middle of a storm that is going to make me question my faith. It's going to make me think that you're not real. It's going to make me think that life is over. I want to be in a storm today. Nobody prays that. You know what you pray? God, I want this to be a great day. I want this to be a day filled with your love, your joy, and your peace. Nobody prays to be on an airplane that's going to be hit by lightning. But they happen. And what I know is in this room, there are people here who are in the middle of a storm. You haven't prayed for it. But if you're not careful, you'll lose perspective where you can't see heaven above and you'll lose hope. So the question comes, what do you do when you're in a storm? What do you do when you find yourself in one of those moments? Four things you need to know. First one is this. Whenever you're in a storm, it does not mean that you did anything wrong. So the first rule is, it's just because you're in a storm, it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. But see, we have this idea that if I ever find myself in a moment where things in life are happening that I don't want to happen, then that means that I did something wrong. Let me illustrate it this way. One Wednesday night, probably about six months ago, I finished up our service. I'm standing at the back because I pastor. I'm at the back there. I'm shaking hands with people. And over to this side, there's a man. Now, he's not in the line to shake my hand, but he's bird-dogging me. He's watching me. Now, I know what this means. This guy wants to talk to me. This isn't the shake-your-hand little uh, short conversation. He's wanting to talk. He's waiting for everything to clear out so he has a free shot to get to me. And so I'm watching this, and I know he's going to come over. Everyone begins to clear out. He starts walking towards me, but when he gets three feet away, I look at him, and I can see tears running down his face. Now, this isn't a wimp of a man. This is a man's man, and I'm watching these tears. He gets a foot away from me, and when he gets a foot away from me, what happens is this. He utters these words. He says, Pastor, just tell me. Just tell me. If you'll just tell me what I did wrong, I'll acknowledge it. I'll repent. I'll change. Just tell me. And I'm looking at him because I have no clue what's going on. I said, hold on a minute. He said, no, pastor, just tell me. Just tell me what I did wrong. And I'm going, hey, you got to hold on a minute. We got to get on the same page. So I slowed him down and he began to describe events in his life. And these events were not necessarily positive events. No one would think that they're good. But in the middle of describing these events, he had this idea. The only reason that these events could be happening in his life is because he did something wrong. And I looked at him and I said, "Um, have, have you asked God if you've done anything wrong? And he said, I have. I said, did he tell you anything? He said, I haven't heard one thing. I said, well, have you confessed anything you think you've done wrong? And he said, yeah, anything I've thought. I said, well, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says that if you confess your sins, he's faithful. How many of you are glad that we serve a faithful God, a good God? And it says that he's faithful. He's faithful to forgive us. But he had in his mind, well, what if I did something wrong and I didn't know it and I can't confess it? And I said, well, that verse says that. It says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. And then it says, and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That deals with the things that we may do that we don't even have a clue that are wrong. I said that that God's taking care of both. But see, that evening, I'm looking at a man that had torn his soul apart. 
thinking the only way that his life could be in that circumstance was because he had done something wrong. See, that night that my plane was hit by lightning, nobody stood up and said, the pilot sinned. You know why we didn't say that? We weren't in church. If we'd have been in church, we'd have been saying, oh, the pilot sinned. Nobody turned around and said, who on this plane is in sin? If you're in church, you say that. But not when you're on a plane. Why? Because we have this idea that for something to happen, we did something wrong. But in John chapter 16, in verse 33, Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation. Let me translate that. In this world you'll have problems. In this world you'll have trouble. In this world you'll have difficulties. In this world there'll be things that you don't want to happen that will happen. In this world there will be moments in life where experiences will come that weren't the things that you prayed for. In this world you'll have. How many of you are in this world? The problem is some of you don't have a clue where you're at. But in this world, you'll have tribulation. Now, here's what you need to know. That night that my plane was hit, I was on a plane that was in this world where there's lightning. And our plane was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Nobody sinned. It just happened. But I've pastored for 42 years. And I've watched people in my church tear their lives apart, thinking the only way that this problem could keep going on is because I've done something wrong. I've done something, and that's the only way. And they lose perspective of heaven above, and they lose hope within. So the first thing is, just because you're in a storm, it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Now, if you're in a storm and you did something wrong, repent. Apologize to God and move on with your life. But it doesn't mean that that's necessarily true. Second thing you need to know about storms is sometimes storms happen without any warning. See, where Dallas is, uh, we're at the very end of what is called Tornado Alley. And so, if you went up the Midwest and you went down just a little bit south of Waco, that would be the area that would be called Tornado Alley. The reason it's called that is because we have moist air coming up from the Gulf, hitting dry air from the West. When you have dry air that is rising, you have moist air that's sinking, you get circulation. And as a result of that circulation, you can get tornadoes. And so in our community, we have a siren system. And when that siren system goes off, you can say that you're hard of hearing. You're not that hard of hearing. Everybody hears these sirens. I mean, they are so blaring because they're there to warn you. But you don't always get warned. You don't always get notification. Let me build a bridge. I was flying another time, and I was flying from the West Coast. I was taking the red-eye flight. That means the very last flight, you're going to fly all over the night. You're going to be the first flight that lands in the morning. And uh, I had flown from the West Coast back to DFW because my son Cody is sitting on the front row. Uh, he's always played on the best baseball teams and in high school and then in college, and then he played minor league ball. And I would do anything to watch him play. So I just wanted to, to get back, so I was flying all night. Well, when you're in an airplane, there's a thing called the initial descent. That means that you're going from uh, the flight altitude of 30,000 plus, and you're going to about 20,000. That's when they begin to feed you into the uh, rotation that will be the landing pattern. Now, 
we're beginning the initial descent. So we're descending down from 30,000 to 20,000. And if you had looked on the radar, down here in Waco, there were storms. Up in Oklahoma City, there were storms. But everything in between was totally clear. Except when you see storms down here and you see storms up there, you know that there is a line forming. That there is air moving up that's beginning to confront hot air, cold air beginning to meet. And that can happen in literally minutes, it can happen in hours, it can happen in days. But there's a line of thunderstorms that's about to form. Now, on the radar, everything would say, we're sitting there and we're going straight towards Dallas, going our initial descent. And so, we're sitting there in our plane, and this is my plane. It would be as though someone took their hand and put it right on top. Our plane just fell. It went like this. We didn't nosedive, just flat, it started falling. The guy next to me, he is, was a drinker, and I literally watched whatever he was drinking go all the way up to the ceiling, and it came down right on top of his head. That day, he was baptized. Not in the name of Jesus, but he was baptized. And so it came all the way down. And, and we're sitting there, and it, it's the most helpless feeling because you're trying to uh, find something to hold on to. You're holding on to your seats. You're squeezing anything. But everything you're in, that plane is falling. And so we're going just like this, and the plane kept falling. And then all of a sudden, you feel the aerodynamics begin to happen around the plane. Again, the pilot didn't come on immediately. That's good news. The longer it takes them to talk, the better news that it is. He finally comes on and he says, guys, we just experienced what is called extreme turbulence. I need you to remember that phrase. And he said, uh, we checked all our instruments. Everything is fine. We're proceeding to Dallas. We get there. Everything's fine. Next day, I'm at the baseball game. It's an early morning game. So you're the baseball field right out here. I'm uh, seated here. And right next to me is a guy named Roger, who was the number seven pilot that Southwest Airlines ever hired. So when they only had six pilots, he was the seventh one. So he had flown literally thousands and thousands of hours. We're not looking at each other, but we're just having a conversation because we're watching the field. And he's looking at his son. I'm looking at my son. We're talking as the game's going on. And he said, hey, Gerald, I knew you were flying in last night. Uh, how was your flight? And I said, man, it was a rough flight. And he started treating me like the novice flyer. He said, well, you know turbulence. That's just warm air rising, and it just creates bubbles, and, and you're just going through it. I said, Roger, this wasn't just uh, regular turbulence. I said, in fact, uh, the pilot called it extreme turbulence. Now, Roger's sitting here looking this way. I'm looking this way. Roger literally goes like this. He said, what did he say? I felt like I was married there for a second. <laughs> and, and so I said, he said extreme turbulence. He said, did he really say that? I said, Roger, I'd never heard that before. He said, do you know what that means? I said, Roger, I don't know what it means. I do know what it feels like. <laughs> he says, that means when that plane lands, it cannot be used again until every part of it is inspected because of the stress that was on it. He said, every little spot has to be checked. I said, well, Roger, I had to check all my spots too. <laughs> and, and some of them were leaking. <laughs> now, here was the thing. We went from here to here in seconds. There was no sign. Hey, rough air ahead. But see, I've pastored people who say, my life was perfect until. 
My life was perfect until I went to that doctor's appointment. My life was perfect until that phone call. My life was perfect until the police knocked on our door. My life was perfect. And what they're saying is this. Why is it that I didn't get any warning? Any of you that have played sports, you know the hit that hurts the most is the one that you didn't see coming. As long as you see it, you can tense up, you can position your body. But number one, when you're in a storm, it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Number two, when you're in a storm, sometimes you don't get any warning. But number three, storms always tell us what's inside you. They always tell us. See, in Matthew chapter 7, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, around verses 24 through 26, Jesus uses an illustration. And he says, there's a man who hears these sayings of mine. So this person goes to church. And he says, and he puts them into practice. So he not only goes to church, but he does what he's heard in church. And it says, the winds come and the rains come. So a storm comes. And it says, great was it, but it says, it did not fall. The house that he had. But then it turns around, and it says this. But there's a man who hears these sayings of mine. He goes to church. But he does not put them into practice. So he goes on Sunday and doesn't live any different on Monday. I know you don't have those kind of people in Pennsylvania. It's just the way it is in Texas, though. People who come to church on Sunday, they hear it, but they don't live it on Monday. They're no different. And it says, the winds came and the rains come, and when the winds come and the rains come, that house falls. And great was the fall of it. Now, it says in both cases, the person who goes to church and is serious about God, the person who goes to church and not serious about God, here's what it says. The winds and rains come. You know what I wished it said? I wished it said, if you're serious about God, there's never windy and rainy days. But in red letters, it says there's windy and rainy days. And the difference is whether you take God serious. That that's the qualifying moment. And as a result of that, what happens is, he says, we get to find out what was really in your house when the storm comes. I need to build a bridge. I was flying out of LaGuardia. LaGuardia is New York City. You have LaGuardia Airport here. Right over here, you have Newark Airport. Right over here, you have JFK. You have three major airports really, really close. If you could look down straight from the sky, you'd see a circle here, a circle here, a circle here. And, and these are planes being rotated through LaGuardia, Newark, uh, JFK. And because it's a tight spot, when you take off from LaGuardia, you take off at a higher pitch angle compared to what you would take off in, in Dallas where you have a lot of just raw land and it's going to be more gradual you're taking off a little bit uh, quicker. Now, I need you to get this. Uh, on this plane, I'm seated right here. I'm on the aisle. Right next to me is my lovely wife, Chinny, who I've had the privilege to be married to for 42 years. She's seated next to me. Right behind Chinny, catacornered to me, is Cody. And so Cody's here, and Jenny's here, and I'm here, but right behind me is unknown lady. We don't know who this lady is. We don't have a clue who she is. She just got the seat. 
Okay, we get up past 10,000 feet because that's the first little beep you hear. Uh, when it, you get past 10,000, that means that certain regulations are coming into play at that particular time. The flight attendants can get up and everything. So we get past 10,000 feet. All of a sudden, you hear clank, and the plane rolls like this, and then it levels. Then you hear clank again, the plane rolls like this, but instead of leveling, it goes like this. So here's the ground. This is how you want your plane to fly. We're now flying like this. So this is what you want. Those of you who haven't flown, this is what we were doing. This bad, this good. <laughs> so we're flying just like this. So my son, who's in the window seat, if he were to look out and wanted to see the ground on a normal flight, he'd go like this and he'd go like that. But he didn't have to do that. Now all he has to do is go like this and he's staring straight at the ground. Well, when this plane goes clank, 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 Cody goes Pentecostal. See, in our church, we believe in being filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And so, all of a sudden, he just, he's a quiet kid, and he goes, and he starts going. And I'm not talking about one of them quiet church prayers. He's praying out loud right now. When you're flying like this, it affects your prayer life. And he's going, and I'm sitting there, and I'm hearing this, and I'm saying, that's my boy. You don't know what that is, but he's full of the Holy Ghost. That's God inside him. He's speaking in his heavenly prayer language. That's my boy. And he's going like this. He's praying out loud. Now the lady next to him, as soon as Cody goes, this lady next to him that we don't know, she goes, blankety blank. The name of blank. Holy blank. God blank blank. Blankety blank. Blankety blank. And some of you don't know what means, but you know what blank blank is because that's how you talk. Uh, and so I've got Cody who's praying, Shandaraka, blankety blank, name of blank, Shandaraka, blankety blank. And I'm sitting there and I'm hearing this and I'm so proud of him. And then my little old wife, she puts her hand between the little seats there and she starts patting his knees. Now, kid's 20 some years old. Patting, Cody, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Everything. Now, I've been married to the girl for 42 years, I'm getting no loving. No one's patting my knee. I mean, it's like I'm in the singles ministry. So she's patting his knee and everything, and, and so pilot doesn't come on and say anything. The plane levels up. And he comes on, and he says, guys, he said, we've lost one of our engines. Another rule of flying, always fly on a plane with two engines because they only need one. It's always nice to have a spare. And he said... We're going to end up circling back, and when we circle back, what's going to happen is when we land, you're going to see, I love the way you put it, a whole lot of fire engines and a whole lot of ambulances, but they're there just to welcome us home. <laughs> it's like we were going to be in the local parade, we're all going to have balloons, you know, kind of thing, and, and so it was just really, really, well, when we land, people are clapping and cheering, because obviously they weren't in church, they were acting positive, uh, so... They're, they're clapping and cheering, and, and everyone gets off. We all get off the plane, you know. Um, you know, I'm here, Jenny's here. We get off the plane, and I said, oh, sweetheart, man, you're giving Cody all the loving. You know, he's going to leave home. I'm still going to be here. <laughs> you understand? And she looked at me. She said, Gerald, I didn't say anything to you because it never even looked like this bothered you. 
And I thought to myself the whole time, never have one question, one fear, one thought. People say, well, he's just old, he's crazy. <laughs> no, when it happened, I looked straight ahead and I looked at the two flight attendants. Now, these flight attendants were more mature. And the whole time, clank, 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 they never changed their conversation. They were talking about recipes. I could hear them. They never changed. And I thought to myself, the reason I was never bothered was the people who were used to being on the plane, they weren't bothered. And you know what I found in storms? Is most people make a mistake because when they're going through a hard time in their marriage, they find someone else with a bad marriage and hang out with them. Versus hanging out with someone with a good marriage and learning from them. And so in life, you always find people who've been through the storm, not people who are in the storm, so that they can help you get through the storm. Now, we get on the next flight, they bring in another plane, again, it's me, it's Jenny, it's Cody, it's the lady, full of blank. <laughs> and so, we take off, we get up to cruising altitude, pilot comes on. He says, guys, that last flight was just so troublesome. He said, I told the flight attendants, it's now open bar. Well, I'm a pastor. I don't drink. More peanuts. But the lady, full of blank, she started drinking. And she drank. And she drank. And when we landed in Dallas, she was still flying. I'm telling you, that girl didn't come down. <laughs> but you know, I thought to myself, there was an armrest at the same event that showed someone who's full of God and someone who has no God. The exact same experience. Because storms always tell us what's in you. They always tell us what's really in you. See, you can come to church and you look like all of us. But when you're in the storm, we're going to find out what's in you. We're going to find out if this was ever real to you. If it was ever meaningful to you, we're going to find out. So number one, just because you're in a storm doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. Number two, sometimes you don't get a warning. But number three, storms always tell you what's really in you. But number four, Jesus specializes in bad weather days. He specializes in bad weather days. Now, when I say he specializes, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 37, Jesus had been preaching all day. And what he does is he looks at his disciples and he says, guys, he said, let's get in the boat to go to the other side. And when he says, get into the boat, he's tired, he goes and he goes to sleep. They head to the other side and a storm comes up. Now, you got to remember, three of the 12 were professional fishermen. They made their living on the lake. They knew what to do on the lake. But things got so bad. And they lose control. But you know, the first thing I want to say to you is this. Jesus is on the boat, and they're in the storm. See, I pastor people who have this idea. Well, if Jesus was really with me, I wouldn't be going through this. He was on the boat with them in the storm. 
We have this concept of Christianity that is just not biblically correct. Oh, Jesus isn't with me. He's really not with me. I wouldn't. But if you read the Bible, you see it all the time. But then on the other hand, it gets out of control. And in Mark chapter 4, in verse 37, it says, And the boat is now full of water. It says the boat is now full of water. In the Greek, you can look it up, and it says the boat's now full of water. In fact, this is real troublesome to a lot of con- uh, translators because they know the Greek says the boat's now full of water, but they don't know what to do with it because what happens to a boat when it's now full of water? The boat's now full of water, but it's not sinking. See, they're in the middle of the storm and the boat's now full of water. So one of them comes and wakes Jesus up and he utters the words that people in church utter. You don't care. Because when we go through a hard time, we think he doesn't care about us. Hey, it's all right. I pastor a church. That's what people think. He really doesn't care about me. I wouldn't be feeling this. I wouldn't face this. I wouldn't get this. The boat's now full of water, and Jesus gets up and he speaks to the storm. See, some of you, your biggest takeaway from this message has been this. If I ever see that guy get on a plane, I'm not getting on. (laughs) That's been your biggest takeaway. That's your big thought from this message. He gets on a plane, I'm not getting on. I've heard his stories. But see, you missed the whole thing. Because if you ever want to get on a plane, you want to get on my plane. Because when I get on the plane, Jesus is on my plane. And it doesn't matter if we get struck by lightning. It doesn't matter if we have extreme turbulence. It doesn't matter if we lose an engine. We're getting where we're going because Jesus is on the plane. See, that day, that boat should have sunk, and it's not. Why? Because Jesus is on the boat. And some of you think, my marriage can't make it. And God's saying, Jesus is on the boat. It's all right. You're going to make it. And some of you think, I can't live through this. You'll live through it because Jesus is on the boat. See, when Jesus is on the boat, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You're going to make it. And so the question in your life isn't, is there a Jesus? The question in your life is, is Jesus on the boat? Someone says, well, I go to church. Hey, don't get confused. When you go to church, this is Jesus' boat. This isn't yours. All that happens on a weekend is some people come and take an hour and 15 minute cruise. You got on Jesus' boat. Enjoy it. The question is, on Monday, when you get on your boat, will he be on it? If he's on it, It doesn't matter how much water. It doesn't matter how big the wind is. It doesn't matter how great the waves are. It doesn't matter. You're going to make it because Jesus specializes in bad weather days. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, I need your help right now. I don't have the ability... To do anything other than to present an outline. You're the only one that can change a heart. You're the only one that can change a life. And Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, that you'll do it.
that somehow you will speak to the unique circumstances of the people in this place and you will minister to them. But Father, we got to ask the question, is Jesus on our boat? While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to ask three questions. The first question is this. Do you know if you were on whatever the main road around here is and you pulled onto it and you didn't see a car coming and you were hit by it and the paramedics came and they looked at you and you took your last breath, do you know that when you took your last breath that you would be right with God and you would go to heaven? Do you know it? If you don't know that if you were to close your eyes this side of heaven, that the next thing would happen is you would open your eyes in heaven. You can know that because the Bible says these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. Now, I'm not talking about being a member of a church. My church, this church. I'm not talking about going through confirmation. Thank God some of you went through it. I'm not talking about going through dedication. I'm not talking about going through water baptism. I'm saying, do you know that when you close your eyes here, that you'll open your eyes there. If you don't know that, I want to pray with you. Because you can know. Second thing, maybe someone would be here and say, I know I've placed my faith in Christ, but I'm just not close to Him. I'm just not close to Jesus. Maybe because of problems, pressure, He's just become sort of distant. But see, Jesus doesn't come into our life to be a part of our life. Jesus comes into our life to be the center of our life. And if he's not the center, he needs to be. So maybe you're a person of faith, but you're not close to him. Today's the day that you get to be close to him. So number one, if you've never accepted him, if you're not sure that he's on your boat, today's the day. Number two, if you're not close to him, today's the day. But number three, Maybe you're here today and you can say, yes, I'm a person of faith. Yes, I'm close to him. But I've never been filled with the Spirit like it talks about in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 where it says they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, that day Cody prayed the perfect prayer. Someday you're going to be in the storm and you're going to need to pray the perfect prayer. So our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one looking around. In any one of those three areas, you know that I'm talking to you. I want to pray with you. If you want to be a part of this prayer, if you'll just raise your hand wherever you're at. I see that hand. 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 If you haven't raised your hand, I see that hand. If you want to be a part of this, I see that hand. I see that hand. If you haven't raised your hand, just I see that hand. Just raise your hand right now. If you want to be a part, I see that hand. One last time. I see that hand. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the only people I want looking at me are the ones that raise their hand if you look at me. Jesus loves you so very, very much. You've taken a step by raising your hand. You're going to take another step by praying a prayer. Now, that prayer is not magical words, but according to Ephesians 2.8, God's going to give you faith 
and that faith is going to change your life. And so I need you to understand that God's going to give you faith that is going to radically change who you are. Now, this is a church, but whether you raised your hand or not, when you come to a church, you're either receiving from God or you're helping someone else. Nobody's a spectator. So today, I want everyone to repeat after me, whether you raised your hand or not, as we help others. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. You said in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that I would be saved. Today I'm doing that. I believe with all my heart that you are my Lord. Therefore, I thank you for saving me and changing my life forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you raised your hand and you've never prayed a prayer like that, that's the greatest of all miracles that happens in any church. If you're already a Christian, you didn't get saved again, you just refocused your faith. But if you raised your hand for the third thing, let me take a minute and talk to you. About seven years ago, I was at the hospital with a man as I held his hand and his wife's hand as she died of cancer and went home to be with Jesus. This man looked at me in tears and said, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Now, he wasn't talking about the fact of just the relationship. See, this man had five kids under the ages of 16. He's now a single dad with five kids, all under the age of 16. And he looked at me and he says, I don't know what to do. I had, she was mama. I don't, I don't know how to keep five kids going. And I looked at him and I said, you don't have the ability to do it. But God does. Now this was a man who has been a part of our church and was filled with the Spirit and had a heavenly prayer language. His job was 45 minutes north of where we live. I said, David, here's what I'd like you to do. Every day when you drive to work, I want you to pray in the Spirit. Turn off the radio, pray in the Spirit. That'll be 45 minutes. When you come back, pray for 45 minutes. Because you're praying the perfect prayer and God's going to use that. A year later, I'm standing in my lobby and David comes up to me and he says, Pastor, it's a year. I said, David, I know. We miss Karen, don't we? We love her so much. He said, but do you know what you told me that day? And I smiled. He said, pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray that perfect prayer. And he says, I've done that every day for 365 days. And what I've watched is God bring our family not only through it, but closer together than I could have ever imagined. Now, what I want to say to you is, if you raised your hand for the last, this church has classes and programs that teach on it. And you're going to need that. And don't let anything stop you from getting it. Because if you're not filled with the Spirit, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, saith the Lord. God didn't send the Spirit to do anything but help you. 
and you're going to need his help. Mel? I appreciate uh, the ministry of Dr. Brooks so much. appreciate the word he brought to us this morning. If you prayed that prayer with us today and you made Jesus Lord of your life, uh, I would love for you to take the next step. The simplest thing for you to do is to take the card that's in the seat back in front of you that says, on one side of the card it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. If you'll fill out the side of the card that says salvation, uh, when we finish here in just a moment, you can take it over to the information center and give it to them. They're going to Uh, give you a Bible just to help you on your journey. They're going to tell you about some next steps that you can take, and we we will get in contact with you about some small groups and relationships and ways that you can grow in your faith. Uh, If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us and you'd like to respond, simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. We're going to respond to you and we're going to help you take the next step. Whether you're here in Indiana or around the world, we're going to help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can connect with. And if you're here today and uh, as Dr. Brooks talked about the Holy Spirit, maybe something in you was being stirred up and and maybe you were a little bit nervous. Maybe you didn't grow up in a tradition where we talked about the Holy Spirit, but I want to encourage you. What's going to happen right now is our, pr- our prayer team is going to come to either side of this stage. So they'll be on the far edges of, e- of this stage. And our worship team is going to lead us in one final song. And while we sing this final song, uh, if you would like prayer for any reason, but specifically for what Dr. Brooks talked about, to be filled with the Spirit according to Scripture, we would love for you to make your way out of your seats as we sing this final song and, and let them agree with you in prayer. Our prayer team will stick around after the final song as well. So if if you would like to come up as we dismiss here in just a few minutes, you certainly can do that as well. But we want to pray with you today. We want you to live in the abundance and the power that God has for you. Because like Dr. Brooks said, we can't do it without it. So here's what's going to happen right now. The worship team's going to lead us in one more song. We're going to sing together. We're going to worship our great God together. And if you have needs of any kind and you would like someone to pray with you, step out, let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, when we're done singing, I'm going to come back up and I'll close this out and dismiss us. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today.